RehabMyPatient.com has had a massive update. 1,000 strength and conditioning exercises have been added to the library for you to prescribe to your patients. Pictures, videos, fully customizable text, deliverable by email and WhatsApp. What is not to love? Go to RehabMyPatient.com forward slash PhysioMatters for a three-month free trial on us. Hi, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning in to Chewing It Over. Um, I've got Orla O'Doherty with me today, and I'm really pleased um, to be talking with her. Um, so, Orla, um, why is it so hard to get patients to follow our advice? Um, well, that is the question, isn't it? Um, and um, I wish there was a simple answer. Um, but I think one of the main reasons that we struggle uh, to get patients to follow our advice is that we we know our perspective we know the rationale behind the advice that we're giving we know why it's so important we know the benefits of it and um i think in trying to communicate that to patients we get very much into this mode of persuading convincing trying to fix it for them always do it for them if we could i'm sure we would um but actually we often fail to see things from the patient's perspective um i think a lot of us do that to some extent but we don't necessarily understand from the patient's side of things what it means for them to follow our advice or what things might be getting in the way um and i think that if we can get to a point where we're understanding that more then patients will be more likely uh, to follow our advice um that might be because we have been able to modify it to, to suit them better or it might be because we've had a better open more honest conversation about where each of us stands and we can come to a compromise and agreement about what what can be done what needs to be done um yeah yeah no that's brilliant thank you and i think it gives us a little clue to what you might be talking about at therapy live um so before we get on to that could you maybe tell our listeners and and some of our viewers a little bit about you and your background and and sort of how you've ended up here really sure um so i started out my career as a physio um i specialized primarily in msk and worked at a few different uh, trusts and did a little bit of private practice as well um, and I think over the years, I just became increasingly frustrated at um, developing and gaining all this expertise um, and sharing it with patients, giving them this advice to help them get better and feel better. And so often they wouldn't follow it or they'd follow it in part, but not completely. And yeah, it was a growing frustration. And um, through conversations with colleagues, I realized happily that I wasn't alone. Um and that a lot of people were experiencing this. So I became more and more interested in why this might be, what I might be able to do to try and persuade or, or convince patients to do what they were being advised to do. Um, so did started doing a lot of reading around the area and um, became more and more interested uh, in it. I, I remember quite clearly coming across a book. It was actually a gift uh, from a physio leaving do um called happiness by design uh by paul dolan and that was a book that i read that kind of made everything just click um and i realized for the first time that actually this field of behavioral science was a thing 
um, that people studied. And there was a lot of evidence um, in that field that could be useful to us as clinicians uh, to help us help our patients. So I became more and more interested in that area and ended up doing a master's in behavior change. I was such a geek about the whole thing. Um, and yeah, I, I ended up leaving uh, clinical practice about three years ago or so um, and did a little bit of service management in a service that actually specialized in supporting self-management and behavior change. Um, and then about a year ago, moved on to working at uh, UCL Partners, which is uh, an academic health science network uh, in London. Um, and I work there. Actually, I have a bit of a random job title. Uh, I'm an education fellow, um, which doesn't really describe what I do at all. But um, the role of UCL Partners is to work with various stakeholders to solve some of the biggest health challenges that our community is facing through research and innovation. So that's where I am at the moment. Such an exciting journey. And, and I get a really nice, because, you know, I think you've probably got a really good understanding from your clinical work as well about maybe what those challenges look like on the front line a little bit. Um, so, yeah, so that, I mean, that's really good. And, and to have, you know, done masters in it, I think just what's well, so, so rare, isn't it, in the world of physio? So we're, we're very lucky that you're coming to share some of your uh, knowledge and expertise with us. So I guess that brings me on to your title. So those of you who have seen the Therapy Live agenda might have seen that Orla's title is um, What Sherlock Holmes Can Teach Us About Getting Our Patients to Follow Our Advice. So um, I was most intrigued when I first saw this. So can you maybe give us a little explanation about how you came up with it and how Sherlock Holmes might relate to physio? Well, I don't, I don't know if this is, says more about my obsession with crime dramas and novels um, than anything else. But um, there were so many times during um, my studies that I read something or heard something and thought, God, I wish I'd known that when I was studying physio or practicing physio it would have been so helpful and I think one of the main ones that stood out to me was this correlation between the world of uh, behavioral science uh, and trying to change people's behavior whether that's in physiotherapy or uh, transport behaviors or climate behaviors um, and the world of um, the detective and criminal justice um, and there was this correlation between um, means, motive, and opportunity, which I'd heard of before because I, you know, watched CSI like people and, and all the others. Um, and this uh, link between that and the combi model, which is capability, which is the equivalent of means uh, and opportunity and motivation. And it was just one of those kind of aha moments, like, okay, this makes sense. Um, and what's nice about means, motive, opportunity, or combi is that. It is just one model that unifies all theories of behaviour change because behavioural science is a massive field. There are at least 83 theories of behaviour change that we could potentially pick from to try and start influencing our patients' behaviour and it's impossible. So what's really nice about the Combi model is it pulls that all together um, and simplifies all of it so that we can start to have a practical tool to use uh, to help us in trying to influence um, what our patients do. That sounds great. Could you maybe give us a little baby example of how you might use that? So maybe like a, 
a kind of idiot's guide for putting that into practice maybe people can have a little experiment before we hear you on therapy yeah. live and then you can improve our skills uh, later yeah. in june <laughs> yeah definitely so combi is kind of the, the uh, overarching model there are more um more probably practical detailed tools that i will introduce at the talk but um as i said combi uh, stands for the C is capability. So that's saying that for anybody to be able to do anything, they need to have the capability to be able to do it. So the, the skills, both physical and psychologically, to be able to do it. The O stands for opportunity. Uh, that means that to be able to do a behavior, the person needs to have social opportunity. So that means things like having permission to do it, but also physical opportunity. So they need to have the time, the resources, the environment that allows them to do it. And then Lastly, and probably most importantly, they need to have motivation to do it. So that might be kind of the reflective motivation. So making a decision that, yes, I really want to do this. Um, I, I need to do it. But also the automatic motivation. So things like um, you know, prompts or triggers you might see in your environment that remind you to do it. Um, and if we have all three of those, then we can, in theory, perform a behavior. But if one of those is missing, then it will be difficult for us to do it. So what I, I reflect for myself, and I think a lot of uh, clinicians do, is that we are really, really good at making sure that our patients have the capability to do what we ask them to do. So we will do a demonstration of an exercise, we'll get them to practice it with us, make sure that they're doing it correctly, make sure that they've got enough stamina, strength to do it. Um, and so we're really good at that. And I think... We're usually, not always, fairly good at making sure that our patient is motivated or at least trying to persuade them to be motivated. Uh, you know, explaining this is really important because X, Y, Z, if you want to get better, then we need to do this exercise, you know, once a day, three times a day, whatever it may be. Um, what we're not so good at is checking that opportunity box. Um, so, for example, I, uh, before moving into this uh, job, uh, and, and after working in MSK, I worked briefly in uh, urogynecology, so specialised in people or look, treating people who had problems with continence or, or prolapse or pelvic pain. Um, so oftentimes I would be giving patients uh, a prescription to do pelvic floor exercises, uh, which I would need to advise them to do three times a day. Um, but that is easier said than done, right? What I would find is that I would explain the exercises, explain that they take, you know, two or three minutes only, depending on your stamina. Um, and people would think, OK, great, easy. I know how to do it. Um, I know why I need to do it. And it doesn't take long. That's fine. Invariably, they would come back and they haven't done it. Um, and what I learned was that actually asking somebody to do something three times a day is quite difficult because for most people just remembering to do that is going to be difficult we all have busy lives uh, so remembering something new three times a day is very very tough so um what i started to do was to preempt that and explain that yes you know how to do it brilliant you're motivated you know why you need to do it um yes it only takes a few minutes to do each time but remembering to do anything three times a day is easier said than done so what you might want to think about is getting yourself uh, the Squeezy app, for example, which has a reminder tool on it, or just setting yourself an alarm. 
Now, that's not to say that that's a guarantee for them to be able to get it done because forgetting isn't always the barrier and it's not always the only barrier. But it was definitely one uh, with that type of patient, that particular type of exercise where I knew I was better off preempting that I needed to make sure they had the opportunity and remember to do it. So actually sounds then like sometimes the advice I guess we start to give of being like, oh, you could do your heel raises every time you make a cup of tea in the day is actually a lot more useful advice than perhaps we give it credit for in that that kind of physical and memory prompt, it kind of gives them that opportunity to do that activity. Um, And maybe we undersell that a little bit. Yeah, well, habit, especially with something that you want them to do frequently and or regularly, habit is a a surefire way to help them do that. I think what's often useful is we we can get into the habit of recommending they do it a certain way. Like I said, get the squeezy up. But actually, what's usually more useful is to prompt them to think of their own reminder, because we could suggest, oh, do it while you make a cup of tea. And then they say, oh, well, I don't really drink tea, drink tea. <laughs> you know and then you're like okay yes you know what I mean you know but actually if you say to them it can be quite difficult to remember or squeeze this in you might want to think about doing it while you do something else that doesn't take much concentration or mm. just get them to start thinking of it generally speaking if the idea comes from them they will be a lot more likely to do it yeah and uh, yeah that's always the thing and I think this kind of the term like motivational interviewing it gets banded about more and more in physio now and probably one of those things that someone like you is maybe a lot better at than the general physio um is there any kind of i guess starting points that you could maybe give a physio to prompt themselves about rather than to prompt the patient about yeah um i, I think that's a really interesting point because when i started getting interested in this area I was very much thinking I want to know how to change patient behavior and then realize more and more actually I need to learn how to change clinician behavior (laughs) so that they can help their patients change their behavior or becomes a bit meta um but yes uh I've forgotten the question (laughs) I say is there anything that physios or any other clinician really can do maybe either prior to a consultation or during a consultation that can just I guess prompt their memory to kind of go more on this motivational interviewing patient choice-led method rather than a recommendation yes um so yeah definitely I uh, actually tutor on a program uh, to teach clinicians uh, about motivational interviewing and I think probably the um the the most useful skill for motivational interviewing that I would say to have in mind is the oars skill, which is O for open, open questions. So asking open questions so that um, the patient has a chance to really reveal to you what is behind their thinking or how they're feeling or why they've been doing or not doing something. Um, the A then stands for affirmation. So that's affirming what they've said. It's helping you to demonstrate empathy that you're not judging their response, but that you actually understand where they're coming from. Uh, The R then stands for reflection. By reflecting all that you've understood, you can do two things. You can check in that you are correct and they can either say, yes, that's right, or or they can correct you. Um, But also you're demonstrating again that you really have heard them. Um, And then the S, if you're having a longer consultation, then summarizing just all the things that you've agreed. 
I think if you ask those open questions and reflect back that you've heard, you have that much more um, kind of two-way conversation rather than it being very didactic and you kind of lecturing the patient at what they need to do. Um, and, and also by asking those open questions, you're really finding out what's important to the patient. So we're good at knowing what's important for them, um, but finding out what's important to them. And by getting that balance, I think we can get to a point where they're much more likely to, to do what we're saying that they, they should be doing to get better. Yeah, that's great. And it's really interesting, isn't it? And it's nice to have that framework. We, we love pathways, don't we, as clinicians and frameworks, and it kind of helps us with that. And, and yeah, just maybe give you something to go through. I guess one question I miss I had is we're ever time pressured, aren't we? And more and more time pressured. Um, I guess something has to go if we're adding extra things in. Is there something that you found that perhaps we really think, I guess historically clinicians have thought is really important that they must do, but actually in your experience, it's maybe not as important as we set our hearts on? Um, well, I wonder if anything really needs to go per se, um, because once you are, like with any skill, once you're actually practised at motivational interviewing or approaching your consultation through that kind of behavioral insights lens actually it just becomes part of it so it's not a new skill to add on to the beginning middle or end it's actually a way of carrying out your existing uh, consultation um and and actually if you get you you can get to a point where it actually makes things shorter and quicker um and i had a really good example of this i for my uh dissertation I was interviewing clinicians who had attended the motivational interviewing training that I now tutor on um, and talking to them about um, one particular skill which was agenda setting and um, a lot of clinicians especially initially are reluctant to set an agenda at the outset of an appointment because that you know can of worms that we fear just opening up um, that, that's what we're really scared of um, and all this stuff coming out that either we don't know the answer to or it's not in our remit or we don't have time for today. And so we just ignore it. it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to know. Let's just concentrate on the one thing. Um, but actually what one of the clinicians said back, and this is, I think this was a GP actually, so they have even less time, I think, than most of the others. But this, I take this to be a genuine uh, reflection of his experience. Um, he said actually once he got into the um the role of agenda setting he realized how much time it saved him you, you you invest this kind of time at the beginning to set the agenda but in doing that you are then so clear and you kind of almost set this contract with the patient for the session where you can really be clear about what you can deal with today and what you need to deal with another time and, and when that might be what you can't deal with because it's not within your scope um and by doing that, you actually focus the patient in on what's reasonable and realistic. So it's things like that. When you when you get in, into the habit and practice of doing it, it actually makes things quicker. So I hope people don't have to drop anything ultimately and that they can still feel like they're doing everything that they need to do as part of their consultation. But the agenda thing sounds like gold dust. And as someone who used to work a bit in education, it makes lots of sense. We always used to set an objective at the start of the lesson and say, this is what we're going to cover. And 
these, this is what we're going to do to do it. So there was an expectation from students and they weren't just sat there going, well, what, she, what are they going to do next in sort of suspense yeah. the whole time? Yeah. Um, so I think without, we don't want to give any more of your secrets away because your therapy live talk sounds so exciting. Um, so before we wrap up, could you maybe give people an idea of like where they can maybe follow you on social media or other courses that you run that they can go and have a look at anything like that so they can sort of get prepared sure um so i'm mainly just on instagram because um i don't have time to post on any more than one thing at a time but um you can find me uh, uh i'm the clinic coach on instagram so at the clinic coach i think um i am also on linkedin uh as all at Doherty. um you can find me on there contact me on there um the uh, motivational interviewing training uh, that I um, am part of at the Whittington uh, Trust uh, which is called ADP anybody if they happen to work in Harrogate or Islington can can come along to that but I'm afraid it's limited to that uh, at the moment um but what I'm uh doing very soon uh I'm very excited about is launching um some uh uh, educational programs in how to use behavioral insights um, to help with clinical practice so um, I'll be sharing that uh, very very soon. Excellent so hot off the press if you're listening uh, before, before to, you know to this before you uh, come to Therapy Live and um, thank you very much Orla uh, for your time um, I'd say if you're listening and, and you found this really interesting. I certainly have, and definitely will be tuning in um, in between all the talks. I don't quite know how I'm going to manage to get to them all at the same time, but that's what recordings are for. Um, so please do buy your tickets. Um, there is a limited number, and your know, time is getting you know ticking on and, and getting closer to therapy live so don't miss out and don't be disappointed it you know comes around um sort of once a year and and it really is a fantastic day um you can catch all that among other, lots of other fantastic speakers um that are covering a huge variety of um clinical practice right from your kind of early career up to advanced practice um you know reach out to us on the socials if you have any questions but um, for the meantime i will i will let all uh, leave us she's given us quite enough of her time and um, just thank you very very much um, no and we look forward to seeing you very soon thank you see you soon here at physio matters we think physio matters Join as a premium member now and access over 500 videos, get free tickets to shows and upgrades included. Access at home, work or on a unicycle to take your knowledge to the moon. Physio-matters.com, more content than you can fit into a gym.